two of my closest living relatives left back home. They both got picked up in the same day from 1,400 kilometers away from each other as a retaliation for my speaking out against the CCP. Five years ago, the Chinese communist regime detained Rushan Abbas's sister and sentenced her to 20 years in prison. This is not just staying within their borders. They are running police stations. They are harassing American citizens. Many Uyghurs abroad are being blackmailed by the Chinese regime and their families held hostage, says Abbas. Evidence is also growing that the Chinese regime has expanded its forced organ harvesting industry to target Uyghurs. Crematorias are being built next to the concentration camps for a culture that doesn't practice cremation. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. Rushan Abbas, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you, Jan, for giving me the chance to talk about this atrocity against my people. You know, I've been following uh, your work for quite some time, and it's, uh, it's high time to have you on the show. Um, it's a particularly, I guess, most difficult time. It's the fifth anniversary of your sister's abduction. And this abduction, I think it's a case in point around what you were testifying about today in Congress, which is transnational repression, courtesy of the CCP, really meaning the long arm of the Chinese Communist Party coming out into other countries and persecuting people there in various ways. Why don't we start there? Why don't you tell me about what happened with your sister and how this all connects? Yeah. Thank you so much again. Um, Yes, just five years ago, I was a, uh, you know, I had a successful career. I was working as a business development director and uh, enjoying my family and also advocating for my people um, as uh, genocidal policies um, implemented harshly against Uyghur people and by 2017, uh, we heard that about one million Uyghur and the Kazakh and Turkic people detained and put in concentration camps. Um, September 5th, 2018, I participated in a panel at the Hudson Institute, one of the think tanks here in Washington, D.C., and talking about China's genocidal policies and outlining the fate of my in-laws. By that time, my husband, Abdul Hakim Idris's entire family went missing. My parents-in-laws and three of my sister-in-laws, their husbands and brother-in-law and his wife and 14 of their nieces and nephews. And I talked about those that was televised on YouTube. Six days after this, my own sister, Gulshan Abbas, a retired medical doctor, and my aunt, actually, and she's also a retired school teacher. And two of my closest living relatives left back home. They both got picked up in the same day from 1,400 kilometers away from each other. That's over 900 miles from two different cities. Got picked up exact the same day as a retaliation for my um, speaking out against the CCP. I am an American citizen. 
I have been living in the United States since 1989. Yet, my exercise freedom of speech, my First Amendment right, cost my own sister's freedom. This, in a way, changed everything, right? Because you were kind of, at one, at one, on the one side, you felt, you know, this incredible intimidation, this backlash from the CCP against what you did. But at the same time, I think it gave you a kind of voice, or maybe a kind of strength. Tell me about what happened. Yeah. I realized Chinese government did this to intimidate me and uh, try to silence my voice. I didn't want them to have that kind of power over me. So I quit my full-time job and I became a full-time activist and advocating around the world to be the voice for my people back home, voice for my sister and expose China's crimes and the genocide. One thing that Chinese government did not realize when they took my sister is that um, the power of love, because they never understand the power of love. I love my sister, and that's her. The love I have for my sister, and the love I have for my people, and the love I have for the freedom and democracy. That's actually refueling me, and I gain strings from that love, and fight onwards every day. So what do you say to people who would say, hey, you're endangering them, your relatives, by doing this? Because I, I've certainly heard that in different contexts. I do feel guilty when I think about my sister being in jail. But at the same time, if I only think about myself or my family only, there's something that is extremely important for all of us. That is the freedom and the democracy in the world. The freedom and democracy I left my family and my friends and my hometown and I came to the United States for and that's being at stake right now. It's not just about my sister, my family or my in-laws or the Uyghur and the other people in East Turkestan. It's not just that their future is being at stake. The future of the entire world, the future of the free world that we know and most of us take for granted, that's being endangered. The Chinese government is being threatened for that freedom and democracy. Many of the people here or the audiences who are listening to us, their parents, their grandparents, worked so hard to establish the last 70 some years. And that's what we are losing by this transnational repression by the Chinese government's infiltration. When you look at it, we see many celebrities and many companies, CEOs, talk show hosts, and Disney and Hollywood, NBA stars, being so vocal against any kind of social injustice. Rightfully, they should. But where are they when the Chinese government is conducting an active genocide 
against the Uyghur people. When Uyghur women are facing forced sterilization, forced abortions, about one million Uyghur children are taken away from their families. Uyghur women are forced to marry Han Chinese men, which is sponsored by the government. Where are the feminists? Where are the people who are supposed to defend children's rights? Well, when the perpetrator of those crimes has the money and the power, they all decide to be silent and look away. But one thing that they don't realize is they're not just giving away their freedom of speech, those politicians or those celebrities or those important people out there, world leaders, they're not just giving up their freedom of expression or freedom of speech. They are giving up the future of the free world. They are giving up the sovereignty of their countries if they are the leaders of some countries that's swaying into the totalitarian regimes like China. If we don't take uh, action and hold China accountable or stop the Chinese government now, it will be their children and grandchildren who will pay the consequences of an illiberal world. I want to get you to qualify what you're saying, but let's talk about, you know, you've been working at this for a long time. Why don't you chart that course for me? Because when you, I mean, we're talking about before China even got permanent trade relations, joined the WTO. You know, people have argued to me that that was the single worst decision, that we have, in effect, built the worst dictatorship in the world in the, from that time, in the early 2000s. But just chart for me what's what's happened on the human rights related to Uyghur people and that, those realities uh, from then. I was a reporter at Radio Free Asia in 1998 when Radio Free Asia added the Uyghur service. I was the first Uyghur reporter and uh, I lived in Washington at that time and had many um, opportunities to discuss with uh, lawmakers working with, uh, um, at that time actually it was um, Human Rights Commission, now it's Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, met with late uh, Congressman Tom Lantos and uh, our current uh, champion for human rights, Representative Christmas. I was extremely frustrated when I saw the most favorite nation status was granted for China. Because before that, that was the only piece of leverage the United States had over China to review their human rights records. But um, one after one, we, you know, we brought them to uh, the World Trade Organization, giving them all kinds of privileges. And actually, I remember keep repeating myself like a broken record kept asking the different people in the different parts of the government, State Department, Pentagon, um, had some uh, connection with some of the military uh, generals, lieutenants, colonels, and uh, I used to approach them and always try to tell them, don't trust the Chinese government. The CCP is not an ally. They are enemy of the humanity. They are doing these kind of oppression. And the, um, I used to list 
what they are doing to the Uyghurs and all the people of East Turkestan, Tibetans, Falun Gong practitioners. And I try to warn them. I wish they remember what I said back then. And I hate to say I told you so long time ago. But um, unfortunately, many people believe that if we keep investing in China, giving them the technology, giving them the money and everything they asked, all the privileges, they are going to open up and become more democratic, free society. No. We knew back then, we tried to warn the people here in America, they were not going to become uh, like a free country with um, giving a freedom of speech or uh, any kind of respect for human dignity. Because a country like China, they feel threatened by any kind of freedom, even any kind of religion or beliefs, because they want people to completely submit themselves to the Communist China only, Communist Party only. So any kind of differences, like religiously, ethically, linguistically, they feel that's ultimate threat to them. When this uh, mass detention started in 2017-2018, Tzu Kai, former ambassador to United States, uh, Chinese ambassador to United States, when he was interviewed about those camps, he bluntly, just openly said, oh, we are taking those Uyghurs to the camps. We are trying to make them normal people. In, within the Chinese government and those uh, Chinese officials' eyes, the Uyghur people, because of their religion, because of their ethnic background, history, and the language they speak, they don't even consider them as normal people. This is the mentality of the Chinese Communist Party. A number of people I've spoken with, and I, I share this view actually, have told me, um, for example, in the early 2000s, when the persecution of Falun Gong practitioners was already well known, and then, you know, after 2006, 2007, when we started getting evidence, for example, of the organ regime, mm -hmm. right, the organ harvesting regime that had been created in China. In essence, the react there were a few heroic people like Congressman Smith t talking about these things very early, but it was rare. And, you know, when I watched this sort of large-scale imprisonment that started, that we became aware of in 2017 of the Uyghurs, I thought to myself, you know, why, if, if people listened and actually tried to hold the Chinese regime to account for these mass internments, right? Back in the day, it was, you know, there were millions of people in these labor camps. It was different, a bit of a different situation, but the reaction was very little. Do you think that that led in some way to what happened to the Uyghur people in 2017? Absolutely. The appeasement and the continuously um, taking everything as it is, not speaking out, not hold China accountable, and rewarding China with all the privileges brought to this point today. 2008, Beijing Olympics. That was um, China's, you know, turning point actually on human rights. 
they act like they respect a little bit of freedom here and there while actually they are really oppressing the Falun Gong practitioners and Tibetans and the Uyghurs. Forced labor already started. They were taking the Uyghur youth to China proper, forced them to work in factories for almost uh, nothing. All these are happening. And the United States government knew everything what China is doing at, uh, at that time. But um, we did absolutely nothing. Well, not just that, the international community rewarded China with the Beijing Olympics in 2008. And then... Um, and then again, I might add, unbelievably, a second time. During the middle of an active genocide, we rewarded the Winter Olympics. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to break your, uh, your, your thought here, but I just, you know, it's astonishing to me, mm -hmm. given the abject failure of, two th you know, the whole, the whole premise of 2008 was this is an opportunity for the CCP to kind of, you know, become a more responsible mm -hmm. uh, leadership or something like that. And only the opposite happened. I mean, predictably for people like yourself and me, but, but. Yeah, the Chinese government learned very quickly. Um, they can get away with almost everything. Um, right after the Beijing Olympics, they um, cracked down the uh, demonstrators in Tibet. And then 2009 Urumqi massacre, um, there was absolutely no any kind of voice came out from this administration, I mean, from the United States government during the Obama administration. And that was the testing uh, the water for the Chinese government. And then immediately they started the crackdown more and more against people. After the Urumqi massacre, 40,000 Uyghur youth disappeared. Human Rights Watch did a report. No question to be asked, continuously investing in China, even today, even today with this much information, leaked document after leaked documents from the Chinese government confirming the genocidal policies, and the victims' testimonies, former camp victims testifying what's happening inside of those camps. Crematorias are being built next to the concentration camps for a culture doesn't practice cremation. Organ harvesting, it started with the Falun Gong practitioners, but now it's very common for the Uyghurs. And there were video clips advertising halal organs in the Muslim-majority countries, in Arabic-speaking countries. All these are happening, yet, we still continue to appease the CCP, the genocidal regime. I often think, you know, what happened to the vow never again? After the World War II, many people regretted and said that um, they should never allow something like this happen again to humanity. Also, they knew back then what the uh, Nazi Germany was doing to Jewish people. But they continued to do business as usual with Nazi Germany.
empowering the German, uh, Nazi Germany's economy to murder more people. Then later, they all claimed the ignorance. Also, they knew what was happening, but they said information flow was too slow, and they didn't know all these details. Well, nobody can claim the ignorance anymore. This is information era. There's overwhelming evidence. Even United Nations Human Rights Council did their report, released their report. Seemingly grudgingly, I might add, right? I think yes. under a lot of pressure. I mm -hmm. don't think they wanted to. I got the impression they didn't really want to publish that report. No. Michelle Bachelet was in her seat to guard that Human Rights Council to not to criticize the Chinese government, not to release the report. And she sat there the entire time in her term. And then last, within the 15 minutes of her term expired, she released the report. But still, although it was watered down because of the pressure by the Chinese government, still it confirmed everything what we have been saying for years. Mass detention, forced labor, forced sterilization, child abduction, and the uh, torture, abuse, well, all these are the elements of the United Nations' own description of the crimes of genocide. They say out of those five elements, if one is happening, you can call it genocide. In their own report, they listed quite few of them. But uh, they didn't say genocide, but they said it's um, it, it may constitute crimes against humanity, but they have all the crimes listed. And with that much information, these people who are continuously engaging with China as business as usual, and all these people still saying that we need to work with China and the Chinese government, we need to have a friendly dialogue, and continue to benefit from the Uyghur slaves, Uyghur people's forced labor, when all these crimes are going to be listed in history books, they cannot claim the ignorance anymore. You know, I'll just add that, you know, for those that might not be aware, you know, genocide doesn't mean just mass killing of people, that it could be that, right? It's just, it's a policies enacted that are designed to eliminate or eradicate a group of people mm -hmm. by whatever means, cultural assimilation, sterilization, you mentioned many, many elements. Well, and, and also this discussion, you know, I've been thinking about this, like is it genocide or is it crimes against humanity? It's kind of a, a sort of false dichotomy. It's terrible things mm -hmm. that we should never, that should never happen. And how can you expect a regime to to treat you reasonably if they do those things to their own people, right? That's I think that's the question yeah. for Americans, Canadians, and so forth. Yeah. Right, exactly. Actually, not only that, what the Chinese government is doing to Uyghurs, Tibetans, Southern Mongolians, Falun Gong practitioners, and the Hong Kongers, this is not just staying within their borders. They are expanding it all over. They are running police stations in Canada, in the United States, in all over Europe. And they are harassing American uh, citizens. 
and the Canadian citizens. And also they are exporting the complete surveillance police state, the system that they implemented in East Turkestan to other parts of the world. So this is not just the staying in East Turkestan or in Tibet or in Hong Kong. How do you expect, how do you trust a country like China, as you said, if they are doing something like this to their own citizens? What kind of future they bring to the international community? We all saw what happened when we continue to appease the dictator from Putin's invasion to Ukraine. But the Putin's invasion came in in bright daylight with tanks and the uh, armed soldiers. The China's invasion to the world coming in with smiley faces, suitcases of money, and the infiltration, and the manipulation. If you look at that trap diplomacy that they are conducting all over the world, the power of the Belt and Road Initiative, and the trade threats, and the manipulation in United Nations as the second largest donor. China is becoming the power strong arm of the world. While the Chinese government is conducting mass sterilization against Uyghur women, forcing Uyghur girls to marry Han Chinese men, who represents women's rights in the United Nations as a special envoy for women and the girls' rights? Peng Liyuan, Xi Jinping's wife. Can you believe this? How in the world an entity like United Nations, which established because of the atrocity, the World War II, to protect people from such a crimes, but yet everything they do is swaying into what Xi Jinping and the Chinese government want. It definitely seems that um, many institutions in the United Nations are very, uh, let's say, tightly aligned with Chinese interests. Um, let's talk about this transnational repression, or how I like specifically in your community, or perhaps other cases you're aware of, um, how that manifests. How is the CCP targeting Americans here? Every Uyghur in diaspora, including all the Uyghurs in the United States, um, Uyghur Americans, American citizens, people who are here legally, students, they all have their family members back home. And the Chinese government basically has their hands on every Uyghur's neck by holding their family members as hostage. In some cases, the Chinese government makes the family members to call their kids and ask them to stay away from uh, political activities like the hearing this morning or a protest or speaking out for uh, some of their missing family members. And their parents will uh, call them and they say, do not get involved with anything. Think about us. If you want to see us alive, if you want to see us outside instead of being in detention, please listen to us and don't do anything. In some cases, here, the officials 
from the Chinese embassy, Chinese consulates. They call the people and even some uh, police from different uh, prefecture, different regions, different uh, cities. They call the Uyghur people from back home and they warn them. If you want to see your parents being safe, don't speak out. And the people are scared. People are worried. Um, that's why, actually, a few years ago, when we have a hearing like this morning, we used to have a room full of Uyghur people with pictures of their missing family members. But uh, as you see today, we only have one or two sitting in the room. They are afraid of coming over. Even their family members are being held in detention. They are missing or um, they are dying. And some people, um, we hear that uh, from the community members here, that uh, their family members are dying just a couple weeks after being released or they are dying in detention. Nobody speak out about this. My husband's case, actually, in 21st century information era with nanotechnologies. About 20 days ago, we heard from some distant relatives that his father passed away in January. So my father-in-law, he passed away in January, but we just find out seven and a half months later. And that was the only piece of information that my husband got since April 2017. Last time he communicated with his family is April 25th, 2017. So this is just the, um, one of the, the examples of how the Uyghur families are living in the United States. And you know, internationally, there's also examples of um, where uh, Safeguard defend defenders, for example, chronicled this of people being forcibly repatriated. There's been people from various countries that have been essentially forcibly repatriated back to China because they were inconvenient for the regime, as I understand it. Yes, absolutely. Um, almost uh, every few months we hear that um, there are Uyghur people are in detention somewhere. Um, like there are some in uh, India right now, and Chinese government is trying to take them back. And there's a uh, gentleman from Turkey in Morocco right now, Idris Hassan. His case is being highlighted, and the Chinese government is asking Moroccan government to send him back. And there are actually more than 100 Uyghurs um, sent back from Thailand, and also many young students from Egypt in 2016-2017. The Chinese government, Chinese police, with the Egyptian police actually went on the street and the street and apartment and apartment and manhunt and arrested those Uyghurs and sent them back, took them back to China. They all disappeared. In Saudi Arabia, we also heard few Uyghurs there facing deportation. And uh, we don't know how many more in other parts of the world. The Chinese government's policies is not just to uh, eradicate Uyghur people within this Turkestan or within China, but also they are trying to um, bring all the other Uyghurs from the other parts of the world and then uh, basically oppress them or persecute them. 
young girl from Japan, Mihrai. She was studying in Japan for her master's degree, and she kept getting phone calls from her family members, ask her to come back. Think about her family, think about her parents. Um, if she continues to study in Japan, they will face uh, repercussions. So she went back. When she went back, she was taken to the camps directly. And a few months later, we heard that she died in the camp in detention. Young girl. And this is just one example of many. We know um, a few actually went back from studying in the United States. Famous scholar Raila Dawood studied in Indiana University, Dr. Raila Dawood, and she's missing. And also a graduate student from Northwestern University. He went back, he and his wife and two kids, and he was detained in the concentration camp. He faced all kinds of torture and hardship, and he was released like half death, basically, and died a few days later. Wars Abubakri, one of our colleagues from University Times, he was also one of the leaders for um, the, the protests during the 80, 85, 88. He was in detention, and then he died two weeks after being released. So these are many stories like that. As you mentioned earlier, Genocide is not an event or is not like one incident. Genocide is a progress. There's 10 stages of genocide. And if you look at what's happening to Uyghur people and the Falun Gong practitioners, as you know very well, um, they label the Uyghurs and the others as the other, the group. And then they start to demonize and stigmatize their culture, their ethnicity, and step by step, and they do uh, disinformation and false propaganda, and they create hatred among the people. Because the Uyghurs are being perpetrated as uncivilized people, backwarded, and also criminals, because all of all the normal aspect of religion is being criminalized. And the, uh, the government is using everything against Uyghur people with disinformation and propaganda. Not just that, even for us, as a part of transnational repression here in the United States, I am being attacked day and night on social media, on the, uh, uh, their traditional media, Global Times Network actually um, did an article after I doubled down my efforts, after I carrying my sister's photo, protesting in front of the Chinese embassy, protesting in the United Nations and in European Parliament. And they said that I stole other people's photo and claiming this is my missing relative and spreading lies about China. And then a few months later, the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson spelled it out my sister's name and said that they charged her. So which one? Am I a liar or is my sister is a criminal? So basically, it's the same playbook against all the, uh, um, the marginalized groups, 
what they did to Falun Gong practitioners, and what they did to the Tibetans, and what they are doing to the Uyghur people, and what they did to the Hong Kongers in front of the entire world's watch. What happened? The entire region that lost the freedom and democracy. All of a sudden, the Hong Kong became a part of this dictatorship. The people who were born and raised and enjoyed the freedom, and now they are under the totalitarian system, like everyone else within China's borders. So I always say, if you don't take action today as genocide and crimes against humanity, and something like this, you know, there's no neutrality when it comes down to genocide and it comes down to crimes against humanity. If you don't take a side today, if you don't take an action or do something to stop China or hold China accountable, then just look at the Uyghur peoples today and imagine how the future of the world is going to be. Because our today, everything the Uyghur people are facing today will be the reality for the entire world. If we don't speak out now, then the, the only voice left to speak will be one of regret. You know, I keep thinking about this, that, you know, the great vision, and you mentioned this earlier, of, you know, why to do a so-called engagement, why to give the technology, why to give the goodwill, why to turn a blind eye to some of the problems, you know, so to speak, was because if we give, if we offer prosperity or the tools of prosperity to China, then then they will become more like us. They will become more of a free and open society. Increasingly, people have been coming to me, and I've been observing this in various ways. It's, it's like it actually went the other way. It's like we became more like that. Yeah, actually, I have experienced that. Um, sometimes I wonder where I live, in China or in the United States. I arrived in Columbia University to participate, uh, participate in one of the panels with Tibetan activists and the uh, Hong Konger, as well as uh, one of the Chinese um, dissidents from the uh, Tiananmen protests. And then after I got there, the university canceled our panel because Apparently, the Chinese uh, students or Chinese uh, association in the university protested. So they canceled our event. And I felt like I was in Beijing at Tsinghua University or Beijing University. And also, um, I see certain tons of human here being exported from Xinjiang, uh, we call East Turkestan, coming to the United States, and the Customs and Border Patrol sees those. 13 tons of human here. Imagine, Jan, how many people does that represent? When something like this happens, it should be the breaking news all over the major media. 
every reporter should cover this. Every evening news should have this as a breaking news. No, we didn't see it anywhere. Again, you know, little by little, inch by inch, we are giving in. We are becoming like the, the authoritarian regime. The Chinese government makes their plans, 50-year plan, 100-year plan, five-year plans to reach the 100-year plans, and they stick to it. They are target, they are, they are on target, and they are stick to their plans, and they are keep working towards that. What about us? We don't even have a clear China policy, I don't think. All this dream of engaging with China, appeasing the Chinese government, and uh, we don't want to have cold war with China. Well, China is already at war with us. It's not our choice. They are deciding it. They are having a war against us. They are having a war with freedom and democracy. I don't think we are really realizing what the Chinese government is planning on doing. When they say last century is century of uh, humiliation for the Chinese people and this century is China's century of retaliation, what does that mean? It's not retaliation against the Uyghurs or Tibetans or Hong Kongers or Falun Gong practitioners or Southern Mongolians. It's the retaliation against the West, retaliation against the democracy. When are we going to wake up and see the reality? On that point, right, I have observed that over the last few years, there's been a significant shift in how people understand the Chinese regime. And it's kind of shocking to me because I, let's just say, viewers of this show know, um, I don't have a very deep respect for our mainstream media and how they cover many issues. Strangely, on the China issue, I've seen, be, and I'll, because I know a lot of the realities over there from our own reporting, from our own sources, that the, the reporting is unusually honest compared to what we've seen over the last 20 years. I, you can tell me if you agree or not, but I'm, I see that as positive. I'll, but I also agree with you that it's also far from ideal. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? They covered a lot, um, but not enough. Um, Radio Free Asia actually continuously doing amazing job breaking many of uh, the cases that I mentioned earlier to crematorias and the uh, organ harvestings and the many of the death. Um, but the mainstream media, no, they are not paying attention. And even if they cover as big event or big uh, breaking news, they always add the CCP's talking points as a footnote. Right, right. That, why? That's true. I mean, why are you repeating what the CCP is saying? It's so frustrating. I will read the article, then toward the end I get frustrated and I just yell on the screen. It's so frustrating to see how these, how some of the journalists work. But you know, 
I don't want to discredit that many of the amazing journalists, they are covering actually a lot of uh, uh, the, the incidents, what's happening to Uyghur people, thanks to many of the great journalists. But um, I don't think um, the mainstream media, and especially the evening news, um, you know, uh, covering uh, the, the CCP's crimes. And it's like, uh, you know, up and down always, like it's extremely difficult to, to have um, consistency on the covering the ongoing genocide or what's happening to uh, different uh, marginalized groups. This should be the biggest story, the Chinese government's um, actions, as I mentioned, not just for the Uyghurs or people within their borders, but what they are doing to United States, the balloon incident, for example. Well, and the balloon well, did get a bit of headlines, right? It did. Yeah. And then it disappeared again. Right. Um, there are some follow-ups, some uh, investigations, but why are we not hearing it? Why the American people are not hearing it? There was a warehouse in Fresno, California, with hundreds and I think about thousand infected mice being kept with all kinds of viruses, biological weapon, basically, run by a Chinese company. And the, uh, clearly, it's uh, doing something there with all kinds of coronavirus and the other yeah, types and of totally viruses. Yeah, totally off the books, right? Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is it got reported a little bit here and there. And the first part did say the Chinese uh, ownership. And then later they dropped that. Said, oh, the Fresno police discovered this warehouse, kept these kind of uh, infected mice. But then you don't see who the owner, who's behind that. And I think the Chinese government is using this very effectively to bring everything to the Asian hate or this is uh, you know, hurting the Chinese people's feelings. No, we are talking about the Chinese regime. We are talking about the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese people. We have a great Chinese friends. Um, we are, you know, that's what the twist, the playbook of the Chinese government tried to uh, use everything and turn everything to their benefit by saying that it's um, criticizing the Chinese people and making everything about Chinese people. No, the Chinese people did not elect Xi Jinping. The Chinese people have no voice on what kind of regime they want to have. The Chinese people are also the victims of the Chinese communist regime's brutality. So they're trying, you know, the ordinary Chinese people are with us, and we saw that in uh, November Urumqi fires, and mm. they protested um, standing in the, the street, the Urumqi street in Shanghai, and the, uh, the Chinese people in China actually showed their solidarity to the, the Uyghur people. So that is the actual, the Chinese people who are also being the victims of China's propaganda. Yeah, well, so it's it's actually kind of astonishing to me because the level of propaganda within China is so huge. 
you know, despite, and many people, unfortunately, I think are actually brainwashed this way to some extent, but despite that, there are still people that will see through it and do it publicly, knowing that they can feel the yeah. ire of the state. You know, that, so that, I, I, I absolutely see hope in that. Yes, absolutely. Um, we sometimes um, receive some messages through our social media, uh, like a Twitter message or Instagram or Facebook, people are reaching out to us. Um, Chinese people actually using their VPN and reaching out to us. So I received a letter from underground uh, Christian uh, church um, in, uh, in China, I shouldn't say where, but um, uh, from some Chinese people. They sent me a note and the saying that, so sorry for the uh, for their government uh, doing to our people and what they did to my sister. What do you think is the path forward for the U.S., especially given these realities of the transnational repression, as it's called here? The U.S. needs to have some sort of legislation to protect the Uyghur Americans' rights. And the uh, we need to have some sort of legislation from the lawmakers to address the social media that we have that's being used by the Chinese regime, used by the uh, Chinese trolls, um, say CCP's trolls. The social media is not open for the ordinary Chinese people, but their trolls and the, their officials using it to, to harass us and they uh, spread the uh, libel and attacks against the, the Uyghur activists. And when we report that to line enforcement, they, they cannot do much because of the uh, freedom of speech. When somebody is attacking and harassing, blackmailing, intimidating, and spreading libel against the activists and threatening them, if they don't stop what they are doing to speak out against the CCP, they are going to destroy them. That's not the freedom of speech. We need to have some sort of uh, instruments that uh, we need to protect the Uyghur people living within the U.S. soil. Well, Rashan, let me jump in here, okay? So I've, this is something I've been thinking a ton about because, so I'll, I'll explain the context. You know, just a few days ago, right, based on the Fifth Circuit Court decision, we know as a fact that there are structures in the U.S. government that have been censoring Americans, again, basically in violation of the First Amendment under the pretext of countering foreign disinformation. Okay, so this is, I think, unimaginable, right? But at the same time, I'm incredibly aware of the fact that exactly what you just described is happening, right? These foreign disinformation operations, courtesy China and attacks, intimidation, this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And and in so many cases, massive. That is, is being almost used as an excuse to actually curtail the First Amendment rights of Americans, right? I. This It's very hard to figure out how to how to deal with this. So I, I agree with you, right, that there's some sort of instrument needs to be had, but faced with the realities that 
when we have when certain kinds of instruments, like for example, the ability to censor, right, get pulled in, those can be abused mm -hmm. in the wrong direction. True. Yeah. Uh, there is a yeah. fine line, mm -hmm. but we need to differentiate um, why this certain person coming out of blue, this person doesn't know me personally, have nothing to do with what I'm doing, but why is he out there constantly attacking me, demonizing me, trying to discredit my, discredit my work, and his condition is stop what you are doing. And people like that should get the attention of FBI. They should investigate them. Why this person is doing this? What's in it for him? All I know is the Chinese government has his family members as a hostage and making him to do that. But how do you prove that? So yes, it is important to have the First Amendment rights. It is our freedom. But at the same time, the Chinese government is using the democracy to crumble the democracy. And uh, using that to infiltrate, using that to uh, suppress the American citizens. So somebody needs to do their work, do their jobs to protect us. Yeah, and so, you know, I think what we're, you're describing here is one of the sort of foundational issues of our time. Because, you know, one of the things, and we're, this is turning into a little bit of a discussion here, but I, I, I want to get it on camera. You know, one thing that can be done is when there's sort of, you know, when something is identified as a mass operation, mm -hmm. right? Like those things, I think, that is something that can be done. Right. And the CCP excels at that, yeah. right? When it's the same message across a kajillion accounts, you know, being sort of pushed out in the same way, that can be detected, that can be stopped. Um, but what if someone just, you know, believes something and they're sharing, you know, and they're, and they're sharing it and maybe they've been brainwashed into that? That's true too. And <laughs> um, to uh, finish it in a positive note, I take all these attacks as the impact of my work that I'm getting the uh, under the CCP skin and whenever I speak out in some uh, platforms or whenever I do something impactful I see massive attacks and I feel like yay great I'm doing the right thing so uh, I believe that uh, the famous saying the arc bends toward justice mm. and maybe we are taking baby steps but we are making a huge differences here Five years ago, when China um, continuously implemented the active genocide against the Uyghurs, the world community did not know who Xi Jinping was and how uh, the Chinese government operates. But today, everybody out there understands that Xi Jinping is a dictator and China is a genocidal regime believe it or not, agree or not, but they know something about it. So um, we are making differences from the Uyghur activists, the former camp victims, great politicians, journalists like yourselves. Um, we are making differences and we will continue to fight because 
I left my homeland in 1989, left my parents, left my friends, left my home. I came to the United States because I was looking for something, which was the freedom and democracy. And that's being at stake. And I will not stop fighting and protect that freedom and democracy and the fight against the CCP. Well, Rishan, in, in no small part, the accomplishments that you just mentioned are because of your hard work. And I think I, think I need to mention that before we finish. Such a pleasure to have had you on. Thank you, Jan. Thank you all for joining Rishan Abbas and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek.